Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another fantastic episode of the podcast. On the show today, we have the multi-talented Chris Hansen. That's right, Chris Hansen is on the show today. Most people know him from Dateline NBC, To Catch a Predator, all of his true crime programming that he has done. I mean, this guy is a industry veteran when it comes to reporting. I mean, he's covered other great things as well. This is really not just the one thing that he's known for, but most people probably know him from to catch a predator he's won over 11 emmys and none of them are from that show but we sat down with chris recently and we talked about this world that he is a part of and really kind of how he takes us into this part of the world that we normally would not be a part of and he has sort of our tour guide to take us there and really what an honor it is for him to do so we covered a lot of different things we talked about being a dad and their interest in the industry and how they've become involved in entertainment and reporting and that sort of thing. It was a very honest and candid conversation. One of the nicest people on the planet. And uh, I hope you really enjoy this episode as much as I did. And please welcome in Chris Hansen. You're listening to The Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast. Have you subscribed to this show yet? I've tried bribes. I've tried gifts. You should. It's absolutely free. I even sent him some pet oxen. Now back to the show with your host, Brett Allen. Hey. Welcome to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished. A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable. Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so going to party. Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Chris, welcome into the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Well, thanks, Brett. Well, you heard in our introduction correctly, we are chatting with Chris Hansen. This is not a drill, and <laughs> uh, but it's, it's an all-in-fun conversation, not confrontational. But I have to say... Not so far as you know, Brett. Yes. <laughs> um, this, I would rather encounter you... Well, I would never encounter you the other way, but this is far more uh, less intimidating, <laughs> I would say. Um, I mean, goodness gracious, I have so many things to talk about, but the first thing I want to make sure we cover is you just recently or started a podcast, which I think people have to be obsessed with the fact that you have started, you have all the shows, but then you have this podcast, which takes people even deeper into this world that you've been a part of. Well, you know, I get so many questions, Brett, all the time, as you can imagine, what happened to this person or that person or, you know, there, there are hundreds and hundreds of predators who have surfaced in these investigations over the years. So we, we were talking about a podcast and the podcast space in general. And we finally said, look, um, let's do what we know. Let's do what people are interested in. 
And so we decided to call it Predators I've Caught. And we go back and sometimes we do interviews. We had a few weeks ago, the daughter of a predator named Daniel Allen, who um, showed up in a Riverside County, California investigation. And she was incredibly compelling, insightful. And, and even just sometimes for me to go back you know, 15, 16, 17 years to when we did the very first investigation and to remember and relive and then do the research. And, you know, I got a great team working on this and we find out where these guys are today. It's fascinating stuff. And as we construct the new investigations and we're out there doing those now and have been for a month or two um, for YouTube and, and for uh, television, it's it's just so helpful to understand the mind of a predator, of a criminal like this. And when you combine that with hearing the voices of the victims, you can better protect other people from, from falling prey. And, and especially when you consider, and you know this as well as I do, during this year of being in a pandemic, more kids are spending more time online than ever before. And if you look at the headlines, you know, you see allegations about all kinds of different YouTubers and influencers and, and people who've been preying on underage kids online. It's, it's important. And so by listening to this, it's instructive, not just for the people who followed these investigations for 17 years, but also for parents and, and young people who may fall prey to this sort of activity online. I have to say it is very fascinating. Like when I saw that you were doing a podcast, I was like, I have to listen to this because I feel like, and I definitely would let myself into this category. There's a, an obsession with true crime. Like, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because it's obviously not a world that I'm familiar with, but it is fascinating to watch from the other side and see how these things even unfold, if that makes any sense. Well, I think it's uh, the ability to take people on a journey of discovery. And, you know, I've been in this space for 40 years. So I think viewers respond very positively and have a great deal of interest into going to places they wouldn't normally be able to go, seeing things they wouldn't normally be able to see and hearing things they wouldn't normally be able to hear. And I have the ability to take them there. And that's my responsibility in the dark corner of journalism, television, and I guess you could say entertainment in which I um, exist to do that for people. And that's, you know, that's my role. And that's, that's what I do. And so I think there is this fascination and you see it in all kinds of crime stories. But what the lesson of the predator investigations, I think, is that, you know, we actually embedded into a crime. We infiltrated it. We used enterprising techniques. We were able to partner with, in the beginning, predator, perverted justice and their decoys. So, so we went inside this world. And I think that was part of the, and still is to this day, the reason why it was so compelling among others. And, and the lesson to me as a journalist was, you know, you have to be enterprising, you have to embed, you have to experience it. And by doing that, you can bring the viewer with you. Yes, I would 100% agree on that. There have been other things that have come out in the last few years that I feel have, I don't want to say copycatted, but really tried to emulate, I guess, some of the things that you've done, but you, I mean, you did, you were like embedded, you were in the trenches, and it wasn't just let's try and catch these people like, yes, you had perverted justice, you set up the house, you would go to locations and do whatever 
you know, pre-work that needed to be done to set this all up and then would just wait for people to come. And that to me seems like that's hardcore journalism from, <laughs> from my perspective as a viewer. Well, I had a lot of talented people, you know, working with me too. You can't take credit for the whole thing, but it, it, it was important to me from the very beginning. And literally 17 years ago, we did the very first investigation in Bethpage, Long Island. And just uh, a month or two ago, we were in Michigan. And once again, you know, we had a, a prison guard who showed up and a, a contract employee for the state of Michigan who did work inside the governor's mansion. Um, a former police officer from Lebanon. I mean, just, you know, one after another still surfacing in these investigations, men trying to violate, rape uh, an underage boy or girl. And, you know, the lesson to me is that you need to engage these guys as bad as they are, as awful as they are, uh, their intent, horrific, and uh, damage lifelong to a child. But it's important not just to jump out of a back room or out from behind the bushes to create, you know, 10 seconds of dramatic video. It's important to engage and to, you know, get inside this guy's head and, and to, to create some sort of a connection. And this sounds kind of dark and, and grotesque, but you do want to know what this person was thinking, what makes them up, what's in their DNA that brought them to this situation. And yeah, some of it's <clears throat> sport. I mean, I know what I'm doing when I get in there. I know the answers to the, most of the questions, but and, and some of it's fishing and some of it's just engaging. And every once in a while, you get that moment where you see the guy just, okay, and he's going to give it up. And that's, that's what I try to do. Yeah, I feel like you've done a fair and balanced effort for it. It's not like you're just playing gotcha but you are really trying to understand the reason why. And I found that was what was always so fascinating about that was the fact that you did want to engage with them as best as you could and try and really get to the bottom as best as you could in that short amount of time. I don't know how much time that you spent with them before we actually see them walk out and then they get arrested. Oh, you see it all. Yeah, okay. you see it all. It's all I mean, real we, time. you feel like you've spent time with them because you've reviewed the chat log so closely. But, you know, when he sees me and I see him, that's the first, there's no rehearsal. The gig and is they, up. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and that's why I think people find it so compelling. That's why I find it so compelling and rewarding because it's, you know, we get those gotcha moments or those, you know, uh, unscheduled interviews, as we call them, and different topics. But there's nothing quite like this in terms of all the emotions, all the adrenaline, all the energy, and all the truth that suddenly surfaces all at the same time. It's, it's a collision of great magnitude. I do have a question about that because this show was on for so long, and we'll talk about other things, but this show was on for quite some time. And eventually, just like any kind of hidden camera program it could be anything i mean people start to become wise i would hope that when they well, see you think you, you would think <laughs> yeah you would think but was there ever moments where you would be in these spaces and immediately people would just know who you were just by pure association from television and just give it up instantly without there being a battle of conversation Yes, on a couple of occasions, you can tell when somebody figures it out and is being 
cagey and trying to see if they can't talk their way out of it. But specifically, one always comes to mind. It was a young man who walked into our sting operation in the Jersey Shore in Manic, Loken, New Jersey. And he was 25, I think, at the time and walked in. And before I could say anything to him, he said, oh, you're Chris Hansen. I said, well, how did you know that? He goes, oh, I watch your shows all the time. When I miss them, I you know, watch them on the internet. I said, do you even get the problems that you are now facing because of your presence here? And, and it took him a minute and, and you know, he, he faced criminal charges like the rest of the fellows who showed up in, in the Jersey Shore. But you know, he, he was starstruck and sort of thought it was cool for a minute that he was on the show. And I thought, God, has it really come to this? Um, where somebody wouldn't understand how wrong it is, how illegal it is, how damaging it is to, to a young girl showing up like this. If I wasn't there, if our crew wasn't there, and a young woman was, I mean, that's tragic. It really is. It's, it's disheartening, especially as a father, you know, of a six-year-old. To me, it even hones even more so as appealing and as entertaining as it is and, and fascinating of, of television still thinking that, I mean, my kid is six and a half and he's so internet savvy and we really control his time and the things that he does like he does these video games he's all down i'm in this chat about this game and i'm like oh no 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 get out you know because he doesn't really understand at this point the dangers of it and we explain it to him the best that we can but i think what you've done with the podcast is great because you kind of bring things back around and sort of I don't know if humanizing is the right word, but really just kind of follow up with these people and, and, and see and hope that they've gotten their lives together, right? Well, and, and some have, you know, and we profile those as well as those um, like Muhammad Abdallah, who's going to be on next week's episode, uh, who left for Egypt and uh, along with two or three other guys in that same investigation left the country and are still being sought with warrants this week. We take a look at Clifford Wallach, who is the fellow who showed up in Fort Myers, Florida with his five-year-old son in tow. And to go back, and that, that was one that always just stuck with me, is, is so upsetting, so disturbing, because he was the last guy scheduled to come over on the last day of that investigation at Fort Myers. And it, it had already been a, an eventful you know, investigation. We had a fellowship naked, Marvin Lackham. We had yes. all kinds of stuff happen. And, <clears throat> and here comes this guy on the last day. We did not expect him to bring his child, his son. And we see him go to the driver's side rear door and get his son and lead him up the driveway by the hand. And I could hear this collective gasp. And you got to remember these crews uh, with whom I work have been with me in the darkest corners of the world on all kinds of different stories, human trafficking and scams and all kinds of things. And, and people were upset. There were tears. And so now I got to make a snap decision and say, how do I handle this? I'm not going to go crush this guy in front of a five-year-old child. I just can't do it. It's not right. And so he walks in and I say to him, <clears throat> look, you know why you're here. I know why you're here. I'm going to let you go because your child is with you. And he's, oh yeah, I won't do it again. And you know, well, it turns out, you know, they arrest him. They take the child. It turns out that <clears throat> he has to leave the home, child services, because he could be a danger to his child. But then the child is sent to go live with relatives so he can move back in with the wife. They have another child. And now this whole tumultuous situation evolves from child services and the legal system. This guy ended up doing five years and now he's 
out and he had to register as a sex offender for, I think, life, but he's, he's off of parole and he's living in a beautiful gated community in Florida, you know, still with his wife uh, in a home that he apparently, you know, inherited, or at least partially inherited from his parents. And he, he's living the sweet life. Now, again, I understand that you can't always lock these guys up for life. And I understand that in some cases they can be rehabilitated in, in five years is a long time to be in prison, but it's, um, you just got to wonder what else is he been up to? You hope yeah. they're rehabilitated, but you don't know. Yeah, you don't. And it goes deeper than just like, I have a problem. I think it's very deep seated, at least from an outward perspective. I think one last question on this and we'll move on. But the one that stands out to me the most, and I don't remember specifically the season, but it was an attorney, I think, or a doctor. And like, while he's being processed, he calls his wife and says, I've oh, been yeah. caught up in a sting operation. And yeah. to me, that one, I think was probably, I would say the most jarring because like there was sheer fear in what had happened and just to have to call your spouse and say, okay. Well, this is Dr. Maurice Wolin, who worked yes. for a company that was on the cutting edge of the, the cancer cure. One of our podcast episodes in the Predators I've Caught series. <clears throat> he recently passed away, um, by the way, which we talk about in the podcast, but he, um, he was there to meet a young girl. I mean, there's no question. Tall Dreamy Dot was his screen name. And you can see from the chat, he was chatting up two women. And, and the, the disturbing thing, it's all disturbing, but the, the shocking thing about it was that here's a guy who made good money, had a wife, had children, uh, daughters, and what are you doing here in Petaluma, California, in somebody's backyard on a Saturday afternoon, pouring a margarita into a glass and, and uh, spills, and, and he has no problem violating a 12, 13-year-old girl but he's nervous because he spilled and he was looking for a towel, which is when he saw my sound man and <laughs> then me. And then he bolted. The cops got him in the garage. and He uh, called his wife and said, bring $30,000 to the Sonoma County Jail, but not the kids. You know. now that's like 30 minutes from where I live, Petaluma. So like it's just down the street. It's crazy. I was going back and just watching different episodes and, and realizing how close you were to my neck of the woods and how it's unreal how in your backyard this type of stuff is. I want to switch gears and talk about this concept of journalism, something that you've been doing for a very long time. And when I get to talk to, to journalists, like real, I consider you real journalism versus podcasting, but really like when you are going through things and choosing how to report and what to report on, what is your process to decide this is something that is worth putting attention to as a journalist? Well, I think some things hit you over the head, um, you know, during the height of the pandemic, you know, I had access to a lot of people in the medical world, the law enforcement world, uh, and, and the ability to put them together all in one show was, was, I thought, quite compelling. So we ended up doing 10 things, 10 stories on that. The George Floyd situation, you know, again, because I've been doing this for so long, I can find people and call people and have them appear on a show and with the magic of YouTube, you can put a show on with short notice. And so we did a lot of that during the pandemic because we couldn't go to the studios. We couldn't do a lot of things we normally do. And, and you know, first and foremost, it's gotta be, I guess it, this is selfish to admit, but it, it's gotta be something that interests me. 
Okay. You know, I have to be passionate about it. There are plenty of great journalists out there doing all kinds of different things from fashion to feature to, you know, the dark world in which I exist. But, you know, it, it's got to interest me. And then once I'm intellectually engaged in it, then, you know, I'll obsess over it and I'll work on getting people on my shows or doing interviews with them that, you know, aren't necessarily appearing everybody else, everywhere else. And, and it's got to be compelling and interesting. I've always, I've been very fortunate and I've got two sons in the business, one behind the camera and one in front of the camera. And, and they have the same, at least what I think is innate gut that says, okay, this is something people care about. And there's just a sense about it that when I come across something, I, I, I can say, I can tell in my own mind, in my gut, I said, this is important. People care. And, and so that really, to me, is the, is the benchmark for me to get all in. I find that fascinating because as a podcaster, I, I feel the same way. I want to talk to people who I find interesting, first of all, and secondly, that I know that my audience would find interesting as well. And I think there's a freedom in podcasting where you can kind of talk about things a little bit more loosely, if that makes sense, you know, like a conversation with you and kind of move and weave in throughout, you know, the timeline of the things that you've done versus just choosing something specific. I mean, there are topics that people cover. I don't have that talent necessarily to talk about that, but maybe pop culture or entertainment and just really kind of figure out what makes you tick as an individual, because I think it's interesting, everything that you've done, I mean, from all the crime shows to the podcast. I mean, I think there's just an obsession with all of it. And uh, that's why I asked what I asked, because like for you, you do exist in this one particular world, but you also cover other things. So there's more than just one thing, obviously, that attracts you to being a journalist, right? It's not just Oh, yeah. And, and to be engaged with people and, and to sort of have your pulse on what's going on in the world and have access to information. Um, you know, it's it, even as silly as this may sound. I mean, I do cameo, which I found to be a wonderful, oh, sure people love it. wonderful way to engage followers. And I've seen nothing else like it. But it, it also allows me to to have a sense of humor. You know, to, to, to be funny or try to be funny, at least in, in that uh, world and, and to entertain in that way. It, it's been quite something. It's been a great experience and I've, I've enjoyed it a great deal. But you do get some serious requests where people will say, you know, I'm ill or this has happened or I've had this very difficult life situation and can you give me advice? And all of a sudden, you know, it's not just this riff on a predator phrase and a happy birthday, it's, you know, you dig deep and it forces you to connect with your own feelings and emotions and, and your experiences to try to help other people. And it, it becomes a bit of a responsibility, quite honestly, but, but one that I found very fulfilling. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Rewarding. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm sure you get the barrage of, hey. Yeah, and that's fine too. That's right. it's, it's great, great fun. And, and, and I'll get in a groove. And I, I mean, I think I, pretty funny guy when I want to be in. And so that, I find that, him hilarious. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> to have a public figure, you know, from such a, you know, public eye in the sense of people know you obviously from to catch a predator. That's kind of what it is. But obviously, there are other things that you've done journalism wise, where you go, okay, you know, there's other things I can do too. <laughs> you know, it's not oh, a one trick sure. pony. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it, it, you know, unquestionably the predator franchise has become, 
you know, the most iconic of anything I've done, but it's, you know, it's 5% of my portfolio, you know, it's, it's uh, out of 10 Emmys, none of them are for, you know, <laughs> predator investigations. And that doesn't mean it's not important or journalistically uh, significant. It just, that's the way it is. And, and when, you know, I always tell this story when my two older boys were in, uh, <clears throat> in high school, you know, they went to a high school where kids' dads did a lot of things. Being on TV wasn't necessarily yeah. uh, that big of a deal. People ran sporting teams, professional sporting teams in New York. People were titans of Wall Street. But when South Park did a parody of Chris Hansen and the Predator investigation, <laughs> I was, you know, I was the cool dad. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I, I do remember that. It's interesting as a journalist and somebody who's just constantly involved in this world, are you able to to turn it off when you need to turn it off or is your sure. mind always working all the time? Well, I think it's always, uh, you know, turning about something. I, I slow it down a great deal. I'm just like anybody else. You know, I, I'm very fortunate. You know, I have a presence here in New York City and, and also in Michigan. So, you know, I, I do spend a fair amount of time there where I get to drive a car and go to a Costco and not have to worry about how many bags I have because I have to walk with them you know, <laughs> 10 blocks from here or there. You know, and it, it's so it is, it's the best of both worlds. You have the energy and the excitement and the connection and the importance of being on one of the coasts, but you also have that Midwest connectivity grounding, if you will. And, and you know, I grew up in Michigan and uh, Gabriel grew up there, obviously. And so it's, you know, it, it's, it's been great to, to have, you know, both worlds uh, easily accessible. And, um, you know, I went to Michigan State. And so, um, you know, there's a big connection there and, and just, just in Northern Michigan and Detroit's coming around. And, and so it's, you know, it helps you balance to be a regular guy and do regular guy stuff. Um, you know, it's not all, you know, swordsmanship and taking out the bad guy every day, you know, there's a, there's a planning <laughs> for that some relaxation yeah i too. love it it's not like you know you're making list of oh you know who we're gonna catch next or you might maybe well there's some of that too <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're having conversations I with, with a, the, I sleep with a legal pad next to me you know what I, I you pull out your iphone okay yeah. we're heading to mm -hmm. uh sheboygan wisconsin in two weeks yeah. there's a hot trail of yeah uh, well, that that, that yeah. happened i'm sure yeah i imagine the pandemic just really lit the gasoline to the fire for a lot of things, you know, the George Floyd, I mean, yesterday. Well, yeah, I mean, we, you phenomenal. know, we did, we had, you know, family members of his on one of the shows and it was, God, it was just compelling and important and, and, you know, heartbreaking at the same time. And, and, you know, those are, those are important shows, you know, it may not be the predator show that gets, you know, a million views, you know, in a short period of time, but it's important and people need to see that and hear that. And, and it's also important to, use uh, my influence or access because of the Predator series in these other ways, you know? I mean, when I show up at a, in a city and, and I'm looking for information from a law enforcement agency, they're more likely to be helpful because they can relate to the Predator franchise. There's no question. And so you use that to, uh, to get information, to educate, to inform, and to do your job. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like you're, just your coverage on all of that and just the riots and all of that. It's just, it's, it's soothing in a way because, you know, whether you're left or right, I felt like for you and getting things from you, and I'm not just saying it, it was, it was very calming in a way and the sense of, okay, we're going to get some honest perspective on this 
and it's going to be truthful and we're going to get what we need, not something that could potentially be sensationalized to skew an audience one way or another, if that makes any sense. No, I, and, and I appreciate that. And I take that as a compliment because that's exactly what I tried to do. I mean, if my liberal friends are mad at me just as much as my conservative friends are mad at me, then I, I'm pretty much doing my job. I think. <laughs> You're like, I can rest my head tonight. Yeah, the everybody's pillow. mad at me. Everybody's mad at me all the time. That's perfect. I'm doing my job. <laughs> yeah, it's not just like one sided or another. Yeah. Well, we, we, we alluded to this earlier. You are a dad. Your kids are obviously grown up but they also grew up in this world that you were a part of being a dad and doing the type of reporting that you were doing. Did a lot of that come home with you as far as like, just Oh yeah. It was the center of the center of the universe in some ways. I mean, yeah, we did regular guy stuff too and fishing and sports and messing around in the backyard and, and all that. But you know, they also grew up in a home where, you know, there were federal agents and judges and intelligence officers and uh, cops and politicians that, you know, were in my, you know, circle of, of friends and acquaintances. And so they, they grew up at, you know, dinner tables where there was a lively discussion and information was exchanged that wasn't uh, readily available to the general public. And I think they liked it. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, my oldest is, you know, in television and film production and very curious and very creative. And he loves that part of it. And the youngest one is a reporter for Fox uh, TV in Oklahoma City, and he's working his way up the ladder. And, and um, you know, we, we have these conversations where we, you know, criticize each other's very hard work <laughs> and, and uh, debates about things. And But it, it's, it's fun for me um, to watch. And I, and I didn't push them into it. They sort of right. gravitated towards it. And, you know, I think there was, they could have done anything you know, growing up on the East Coast and, you know, they had their choice and they, they chose this. And so it's, it's fun for us, uh, for the three of us now to sort of sort through it. And, and um, you just watch everybody progress. It's, it's a great time of life, quite honestly. It has to be rewarding as a father to have your children really follow in your footsteps and be a part of the journalistic world because you know it so well. Well, and you hear all this crap all the time uh, journalism's dead and this and that and these people are hate fox and they hate uh, you know the mainstream networks and, it's, and and i tell people all the time i said be a good consumer realize that what's on at nine o'clock at night on one of the cable news networks is not necessarily what's on at 6 30 on abc cbs or cnn or, or nbc it's it's different it's like reading the op-ed page of the newspaper and i think this next generation needs a civics lesson in sorting through digital media especially because you know you you, you turn on your phone your ipad your computer and twitter is buzzing and all the different social media platforms are going and and there's no there are no checks and balances there so people continually see something we're not trained journalists on, on the internet and say, oh my God, this has got to be true because it's there. Well, no, it doesn't. And it's not true just because it was in Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I have two birthdays. I, you know, March and September, one of them, one of them is, is my fake birthday that I, I, you know, that just caught fire because uh, it was in Wikipedia. I can't even access my own Wikipedia page. It's horrible. The bad picture. <laughs> I can't, I'm the guy and I can't even access it. So what does yeah. that say about the truth and veracity of a Wikipedia page? Yeah, I think. Suspect at best. Yeah. Let's have a seat, Wikipedia, and talk about. I, I Listen, I've reached out. 
it, it's my, I mean, I, you know, I'll pay attention to it for 10 minutes. I get busy with a hundred other things because I assume that, you know, people know it out there that just because it's somebody says something about you, but then, you know, people say atrocious things about you as a public figure. I, I can imagine it has to, you have to develop almost a skill set. I would think well, people, intelligent people know better. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not happening every day, but you know, when you go after people and when you go after uh, some of the digital predators that I've gone after, um, some of the shows we've done on, on the YouTube channel that have turned into television, I mean, they have the ability to create misinformation campaigns and come back at you. And that's, you know, I, that's just part of the, part of the cost of doing business. But it is amazing that there's a generation that doesn't know necessarily how to sort through and sift through what is true and what is not, because it's so prolific and so out there. It really is like there's just unlimited information at your fingertips to be able to just get literally anything that you want at any moment and be able to have access to it and just go berserk with whether it's Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever. I mean, you know, I feel like they're starting to put some guards in place as far as especially I've noticed with the whole COVID and all of that misinformation Post getting taken down now with Facebook put the blocks up about the George Floyd verdict and all of that and misinformation is being taken down. But I agree with you again. I feel like we have a long way to go to get there. Well, and I think by talking about it like this is very productive because I think it makes people think about that sort of thing. And I think it's important. Absolutely. One last question here as we kind of wrap things up, kind of looking at your career, I know you've been doing this for a very long time. What was it that interested you in pursuing this career of journalism and reporting? And then did you know I'm going to be doing this for a very, very long time? I grew up about a mile and a half from where Jimmy Hoffa disappeared. It was a restaurant <laughs> called the, the Red Fox. And this is a true story. And uh, I was 14, 15 years old at the time. And I was fascinated, absolutely fascinated by the story. And and the local police and the FBI and local reporters for Channel 7, 4, and 2 being up there and the networks coming in. I used to ride my bike up there to the crime scene because there's so much activity just to check it out. And, and I guess I got bit by the bug then and continually followed that story and went off to college a few years later. And, you know, on the first day, walked over to the student radio station and signed up, didn't know what I was doing, but, you know, suddenly I was a reporter and that was fine with me. And so a lot of my training came on the job. And I, I mean, I studied journalism and broadcast, uh, broadcasting at Michigan State. And, and it was a great school at which to do that. And, and I was very fortunate to, you know, get jobs along the way in radio and print. And ultimately, as a senior in college, was working part time at the NBC station there. And, uh, you know, 490 an hour and all the fires and city council meetings I could cover, but it was great experience. And, um, when I graduated, I went full time and, and that was the start of it. So it was, it was, uh, you know, very, very fortunate. And, and I think, you know, it's hard for kids these days to get that big of a break that early. They want you to go to smaller markets, which is good. And smaller markets need, you know, quality reporters too. And that's, that's how you get your start, you know, you just head up to the woods um, and get it going. And there's a great, listen, my uh, son, Connor, started in Traverse City and had a marvelous news director up there, just a great guy who decided after working in larger markets, he wanted to be in Traverse City. And he was, he was at 
news director's news director. I remember uh, he was going up to interview for the job. I said, well, do your research, check out and see what this guy's about. He said, well, it says here that he was, um, uh, he left his last job at a big market after uh, punching a hole through the wall in the newsroom. <laughs> I said, that's your guy. That's who you want to work for. He's a character. He's obviously passionate. And, and he ended up being a wonderful news director for a young reporter. And I think he's still in that market, I believe. That's funny. It's like, that sounds like something out of a, of a television series. It's a great story. It's great. It's a great experience. You know, it's, it's not, you're not working at a, an accounting firm. I mean, you, you, this is, it's a different sort of job and you have to be cut out for it. It's not for everybody, you know, definitely not for the fainted heart. I would imagine, yeah. especially with not just some of the topics that you've covered, but just really being a fair. Well, it's not nine support. to five. No, it's not nine to five. And I imagine you're on all the time as far as like if something comes across your desk, you have to be ready for it and ready to tackle it. Well, that's true. I mean, you do get a chance to hide, you know, but you know, in, when you listen, when you're in local news or you're doing nightly news, I mean, you're, you know, you're on the clock, you're hustling. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, the days that where nothing's going on and you sneak away to Hurley's or one of the joints around the corner and have a few pops. And th those are great days, but they're few and far between, you know? Yeah, I would imagine, especially too, being as recognizable as you are, people know who you are and it's easy to get access to you if they see you in public. Uh, but uh, well, that's just that's just part of the, you know, that's part of the part of the deal. You know, it's it's you know, I should tell my oldest son thought it was strange when he was young that people would stop in an airport and want to shed. And I said, the time to worry about that is not when they stop you. The time to worry about that is when they don't know who the hell you are. That's <laughs> well, I think it's pretty safe to say all of my listeners will know. And uh, I love the podcast. I'm excited to hear more episodes in the YouTube channel and uh, maybe a To Catch a Predator reboot one of these days oh, it's, on Netflix. It's, it's, it's being shot, being shot as we speak. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, there you have it, folks. Stand by. Stand you got by. It. We got it. Awesome. We're excited for it. Well, Chris, thanks for hanging out with me today. I well, appreciate thank, it. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it very much, Brett. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.